We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL podcast. We're doing a special edition here on Monday, breaking down the combine that went on all last week up through this past weekend. Uh, defensive backs finishing up their testing today. Rich Eisen also running his 40 today. Checked in under six seconds. I thought that was a pretty good time for him. Yeah, if you ever run a 40, you look uh, like you'd probably, I mean, people underestimate how hard it is to time like those guys, but you look like you could get like a four eight five or something better probably on a, on a good day when, when i when i get stretched out i feel like i could maybe you know low fives i think is definitely in the in the realm of possibilities i'm not going to say that I, I can crack under five though i don't know I bet, I bet you could it's like five is the point like you actually run don't you like i would yeah. i would log like the seven and a half seconds but <laughs> like someone who's actually been to uh through a running exercise in the past two years might do better <laughs> well i appreciate that I, I, I like to think i could you know post a semi-respectable time there like there, arena league speed there maybe. we go yeah. that's what i'm talking about um but let's get into the guys that actually did go through the combine this weekend uh some pretty interesting stuff that went on uh i want to start off with the running backs and the the one that just kind of checked all the boxes a guy that everyone was expecting to do great and he rose to the challenge pretty much every time he was asked to although he didn't run the agility drills but Saquon Barkley you know checking in at, at 233 pounds I believe and, and running a 4.4 uh, 40 yard dash and, and you know everything else uh, going with a 29 inch 
or 29 reps on the uh, on the bench, and then a really good uh, vertical leap as well. So I mean, Barkley just kind of. I don't, I don't think that there was any question that he was the number one running back, but I think now it seems like a, a almost guarantee that he's a top five pick. I don't know what to make of where he's going to go in the draft, but yeah, he's unchallenged at his position and probably among uh, among offensive players, he's the first non quarterback off the board. And still think there's a there's a probably a good chance that they go rosen or even darnold at number one for for cleveland there but on the other hand uh i i think that as good of a player as barkley is as great of a prospect as he is it would be really stupid to take him first overall at least yeah. when you are a team that also needs a quarterback uh they might be taking it for granted that they're you know our quarterbacks as good as the ones they have in this class available and it's not going to be like that most years. So if you're the Browns, I, I mean, if you're if you're waiting till f- uh, whatever their second pick is, it's, I think it's uh, pick four right now. I guess Darnold could make it there. I think they're down to Mayfield at that point generally. So we'll see. But I, I don't know where. I don't know if it matters where Barkley goes. But he's basically you know a borderline perfect running back prospect, and even a perfect prospect can turn out to be a bust. Like Trent Richardson was pretty close. Uh, there's going to be the, you know, the revision of history, like, Oh, I didn't everyone. I thought he stunk. Yeah. Somebody predicted he would be a bust on uh, some message board. Um, but yeah, (laughs) he's, he was a a really good athlete. Um, I, he wasn't running at the combine, but I think he ran something like a four, four, five at his pro day at, you know, 230 pounds. Uh, so if he can turn out to be a bust, pretty much anyone can, but for Barkley, the odds are very, very slim. Like there's, there's a, there's a very slim chance that he turns out anything but elite, let alone however much of a chance there is that he turns out to be just not good. Yes, and jumping off from there, and uh, you know, you're talking about Trent Richardson, Alabama. Just like a little subplot that I've noticed uh, throughout the, this combine is that Penn, everyone from Penn State just did amazing uh, this combine. I mean, you, you talk about Barkley, also Mike Gesicki uh, turning in just kind of like an otherworldly uh, workout as far. He had as like an OJ Howard workout. Basically. Yeah, did not see that coming and he's got really long arms great leaping ability he showed out at the at the senior bowl too but i mean uh you know he's he's looking like he's making a pretty solid case to be tight end one especially with dallas godert um not not uh participating at this at this combine and then uh uh, troy apke who's a defensive back for penn state also ran like a 434 which is pretty ridiculous yeah i saw that just before walking in this room and uh, i don't i don't know was that 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 was pre Franklin, wasn't it? Like that recruiting class? Um, would it, would it have been twenty fourteen? Uh, I guess so. Um, yeah. I think that that might have been because uh, Gasicki at least was a fourth year player. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's that is a pretty strange sort of collection at once to have. And Godwin last year had an awesome combine too. So i don't know if they're training really well or they I just really killed that be. recruiting class or both but yeah it's it's uh, impressive how much speed they have there and in hamilton i don't think he ran a 40 but he had really good i think agility drills when he was there so yeah pretty much everybody cleaned up as far as best they could yeah well done uh at, out at uh, happy valley yeah he had uh regarding deshaun hamilton the 684 cone drill 415 that's short good shuttle yeah, yeah both of those are, are well above or well better than uh positional averages uh for receivers so good stuff from him uh let's keep it rolling with the running backs though uh darius geis another guy who's you know in, in the conversation to be one of the first three uh running backs off the board you know f- fair argument to say that he's the next one up 
after Barkley testing the 70th percentile for a running back uh, in the 40 and doing that at over 220 pounds is really impressive I think we were both uh, we're we're expecting him to test well in the 40 and and, you know he kind of checked that box yeah he came in I would guess you know six at least five pounds heavier than anyone would have figured like he was you watch his tape and you figure he's more like a 215 guy or something than a 225 but it's the film kind of doesn't do him justice because he he is a strong runner it's like you kind of just maybe get distracted or even desensitized to that by just how fast and elusive he is so we already know he knows how to run like a speed back and now we know at running a 449 at 224 he also has the speed to play like a speed back but at 224 he's going to be you know a load to bring down too so the question with him i think is just how much of an impact can he make as a pass catcher he lost a lot of that work to Daryl Williams, who turned out to be basically like a fullback. He was running in the four seven. Yeah, I was I was pretty bummed out about that as a, as a Daryl Williams uh, fan. I mean, guys like that make teams though, just sure. because they they play special teams, and then when they go hurry up and the starting running back gets hurt, they have him to play and protect the quarterback, things like that. But uh, yeah, he's he's basically a third down back. Like his his best case scenario for career trajectory is probably something like Mike Tolbert or something like that. So it's not the greatest sign that Geist was losing quite a bit of passing down work to him and on the passing uh, targets that he got, he did less with than Darrell Williams did. Mm-hmm. So that's a little concerning. Um, but the impact that he makes as a pure runner is like, it could change games and however limited he might be as a pass catcher. It's like, Hey, he might still develop further. Like he is a young running back. He's got the athletic tools. It's not as if, this is a player we think is a finished product entirely and uh b it's just there's enough committees in the nfl already yeah and guys we don't even know for sure that he's going to go in the first round so if he goes in the you know the 45th pick or something like that and you get him there and he turns out to be a guy who only runs for like 1400 yards and then only catches 200 worth that's still something you can afford to pay up especially if you're kind of realistically in contention in the next couple of years yeah so um yeah he's a guy that i think uh when it comes to the film he, he is really just kind of a, a really really strong runner like you said like it guys kind of bounce off of him especially when they're when they're in position uh, and they go low his legs are like ridiculous yeah, he's strong. high motor too absolutely so. yeah and he gets right up to speed too which is something i always like to see um so he's an impressive guy i think i think yeah probably mid-second uh seems like uh, a pretty reasonable like floor to expect for him like and it I, I could, could still you know he could creep in yeah he could go i think late first or mid second and it's a fine line between those two results just because the running back class is really deep and teams you know might hold him basically in the same regard as some running back that might go late first and even if he guys falls to the mid second or even late second it's not even really because the league evaluated them any differently it's just kind of like they got caught in the you know the the tide of the draft basically so he's one of those guys that could actually be a great value and maybe even end up on a better team you know than you might expect so he's going to be pretty interesting to watch uh, if he gets an opportunity to to play right away because if he gets usage he's probably going to do a lot with it as far as we can tell yeah i mean he's a guy that made the the most of his opportunities when fournette was hurt uh, when he was a sophomore and then you know obviously taking over the lead back role this year although he was a little bit nicked up this past year so i don't think it it kind of got up to where it could have uh you know if he if he put on his sophomore year production this year then i think we'd be talking more closely about him as a top 20 pick right and not to put too much 
pressure like on him or, or you know unrealistic expectations but it's like even a running back that doesn't catch very well can change an offense it's like adrian peterson not much of a pass catcher mm-hmm. um probably not much reason to think geis has 2000 rushing yards in him in a season but he's he's about as talented of a pure runner and as good of an athlete like as you can really ask for it's the thing that distinguishes him from barkley and barkley's favor is yeah the athleticism a little bit but more so like the pass catching sure uh there's basically a a more diverse skill set with barkley than there is with geis but geis's strengths are not matched by many people exactly um let's get on to the two georgia running backs uh nick chubb and sony michelle uh when it comes to those guys i think chubb did pretty well for himself this weekend yeah he did Um, you know he's a guy that uh comes right up after Barkley on the bench and matches him with 29. Uh, not that that's like the end all be all test by any means, but you know, still impressive to be hanging with uh, Barkley when it comes to his, you know, strength tests like that. And then he comes up uh, really impressive vertical and broad jump. So that kind of speaks to the strong anchor that, that we've talked about on the show before, um, you know, really explosive lower body strength. Uh, the 40 was a little bit slower than, than we were probably expecting. I think we were expecting maybe like high four fours, but still, Still, four four five three is good for a two hundred twenty pound back. Yeah, I don't think he could have done any better than like four four five maybe, and and high four fours, low four th- four fives was always a little more realistic. I think at four five two at two hundred twenty seven pounds is really really good, and you know the jumps were explosive. The agility drills were not good, but right. for two hundred twenty seven pounds, I think they're totally fine, and also with four five two speed totally fine so i think chubb did really well for himself i think he also probably showed more than most people would have expected as a pass catcher and those like receiver those route running drills Mm -hmm. but that was something that he did whenever he was you know actually asked to do it at georgia so that wasn't surprising i think he's as much as he's not any significant challenge to barkley as a prospect i really don't think they're that far apart or at least not as far apart as their likely draft placement uh, would okay, lead you to think um, like I think I think Chubb's going to, as long as his health you know permits I think open and shut within a year and a half from now people are going to think why was he not you know an obvious first round pick uh, he might still go in the first round but if, if he falls past it I think he's going to be just a shrieking steal exactly and uh, you know it, it's it's funny that you, you bring up the the health thing I didn't hear like one single you know uh, comment about about his knee injury from from a cu- couple years ago uh, when it came to his medical checks this weekend. So that not even a whisper about that. So it seems like everything is intact as far as that knee goes. Right, and it's not it's not easy to tell from afar like what these teams know or what they don't. But as, as far as we can tell, there's not really any reason to consider the knee at all. No, um, I think that this 2017 season that he just had, I think really kind of drives it home that he's back and he's fully healthy. Yeah. It's one thing to test really well after an injury, which Chubb did. And that's only so much assurance because Keith Marshall tested great after his injury. But the difference is Nick Chubb was starting ahead of Sony Michelle and playing exceptionally well. Whereas Marshall was, kept on the bench and only had like 200 yards rushing his final year at georgia so 
it's not a similar case to that. I, I don't, I mean, it blindsided everybody pretty much when Marshall went undrafted or the seventh round or whatever it was, because we thought, you know, four, two, eight. Wow. He's, he's back in it. There's so many bad medical red flags with him though. Right. Yeah. So if, if there's any, you know, terrible sort of worst case scenario like that possible, I just don't really see it. Like I, th- I think Chubb goes no later than the 50th pick. And I think, very early upon his arrival to whatever team he gets to it'll be understood like this is the new starting running back yeah and, and uh yeah i mean we, we continue to see those trends with it with uh running backs going in uh you know in the first two days i think more often than not it seems like now that they're able to step into a pretty featured role and i think chubb uh certainly fits that bill as a, as a likely top 50 guy. i mean i saw some people talking about him as like maybe he can pick up the jonathan stewart role in carolina it's like if he goes to carolina christian mccaffrey's moving to receiver yeah. <laughs> like there's there's not many running backs in the league right now or in this draft that can compete against chubb if he's healthy they're just aren't many no and, and certainly not a guy that ran for well under four yards a carry as a rookie last year right i, I am not worried about chubb struggling in the nfl i, I think he's going to be like an instant all pro candidate or you know here's another you know p- potential like role comparison like say he gets drafted around where like dalvin cook did and it's like, and you know the expectation by, by some people is like oh well the vikings already signed latavius murray uh so th- it's going to be harder for cook to to get that in early work and then you know the season actually starts and cook clearly is the best running back on the team so he gets the playing time yeah if it wasn't for that acl tear that would have been what determined a, a probably a lot of leagues winners because cook was going in what like the fifth round or something and largely on the the uh, unfounded fear that murray was somehow a comparable talent <laughs> so if that happens again with chubb and, and there always are rookies like that that you can find and i think we're going to talk about royce freeman in a bit he's another yes, one that would do this uh, but people who play fantasy football often pay no attention at all to college football and even the ones that pay attention to both don't necessarily know how to apply prospect information and you know just general uh you know precedent and they don't know how to look at a player and understand their fit in the nfl so that you get to uh you know i guess this time of the year in april uh these guys look at these rookies and they count them all as like the same thing like we, with few exceptions like barkley is not going to be flying under the radar Fournette wasn't stream. but like the, these other players they, they look at like dalvin cook and joe mixon the same way they do uh like marlon mack or something like that they just they're rookies i don't know what, how to tell them exactly. apart they're rookies they all look the same to me um but nick chubb is going to go to some team and yeah if there's if there's somebody there who's a vaguely name brand NFL player, people are probably going to assume Chubb's not going to start over him, but he will. Yes. Yeah. I, th- I think that's, that's a really good way um, of putting it. And then did you have anything further to say uh, when it came to like a Sony Michelle from, from this weekend? He's a guy that, you know, I, I think I had him as, as my number two back heading into uh, the week, uh, but his 40 yard dash time was around the same as Chubb's, but at, you know, at 12 pounds lighter, I think he's generally billed more as a, as a speed back. Uh, so for, for his 40 time to check in above four or five was a little bit disappointing in my eyes. Yeah. He came in at four, five, four, at 214 pounds which that's basically a Camaro workout the difference is uh actually I don't know off the top of my head what Camaro did in the agility drills but Michelle didn't do well there either like he did slightly above the average but uh yeah, his, he, shuttle, his shuttle short shuttle I'm sorry was 421 yeah he didn't run a three cone I misread this but uh so it's, it's an incomplete profile but what we do have as information is not especially promising so it's like 
Kamara would have gone probably in the second round if teams, if he basically didn't have, uh, you know, like the, the golden teeth or whatever he has. And if he cool uh, acted the same as everybody else. Yeah. Like he, that, that stuff pushed him down around. Um, so Michelle still makes perfect sense as a second round pick, but a first round, I don't really see it. Yeah. And it's fair to worry like with an, with a profile like that, maybe he is more of like a Felix Jones than whatever we thought Michelle was before the combine. It's nothing is certain. Like sometimes players have uh, disappointing workouts for no reason and it's not reflective of their talent in any way. So we're just working with what we can know here, but based on, you know, past trends, past players, it's, it's not a given that Michelle can really carry over the skill set that he showed in college with basically, you know, four mid four five speed uh only like top 60 percentile agility uh could be meaningless but it's hard to over it's hard to look past it when guys like royce freeman and rashad penny are doing really well at the combine and bigger yes yeah yeah educate the people uh, starting off with royce there well, he he came in a little lighter than at least I was expecting. He was listed at 238 in college, and he looked every bit of it. Came in a little lighter, uh, 229, I think. Um, so he came in actually lighter than Barkley. Uh, and you, you look at them and their respective college teams, and you don't think that Freeman is the lighter player. No. So I don't know if he lost some weight before the combine or if Barkley might have added some. I have no idea. But... Royce is this guy who he had a four five seven forty or sorry four five four forty um, four five seven would have been just fine sure uh, but four five four is quite good at two twenty nine and he had a really good agility drill a uh, really good agility agility score sorry uh, so he had a six point nine second three cone four point one six second twenty yard shuttle yeah, both of those checked in in the top three uh, as far as running backs go both yep. of those yeah and at uh, two twenty nine those are those are great numbers and. He has such good production at every every year in college. Like he had that uh, that slump this year that coincided with uh, Justin Herbert's injury, but he's been just impressive in every sort of metric that we have. And he arrived as a true freshman to Oregon, kicked out Byron Marshall and Thomas Tyner, and it turned out like as much as he might have looked kind of slow on film, he wasn't slow. He was just so big that his athleticism wasn't obvious when when you watched the tape because four five four forty that agility score great stuff at at his at his frame so it's it's something that i need to think about a lot i have no idea what i'm going to do with michelle freeman and rashad penny uh the 220 pound san diego state back ran the four four six is he's kind of like royce too where you watch the film and you assume like this guy runs a four six five right but it's it, it was one of those things where the numbers were so great that there had to be something else explaining the production, and it turns out it's just he's faster than he looks. He re, yeah, he really is. Like, I, yeah, watching the film, like the, there's a bunch of times where like um, you know you don't really feel like he's running away from people. It's more like he's just physically imposing himself. You know, he, he's a guy that the classic uh, as the game goes on, he kind of seems to be getting stronger and stronger. But yeah, for for him to come come out with a four four six, like I, I thought, like if he ran like a four five, I would have been like, all right, that's that's pretty solid right there. But yeah, he you know in a class where without a ton of top end speed at, at the running back position for a guy like that uh, to test that well and also you know checks him with with a really solid broad jump as well. Uh, yeah, there's a lot to like about Rashad Penny. I think that he is one of those guys that, that helped himself the most this weekend. Yeah, I, I agree and. 
he now he's mainstream like that 40 time makes him mainstream now before he was kind of like a fringe player some some people who are more like into draft uh draft you know culture than most people kind of were thinking like hey he might be another kareem hunt like everyone overlooked him when he was coming out of toledo and now it's like well kareem hunt ran a four six two i think that was not reflective of his real game speed i think he's like a four five guy usually but I mean, Penny running a four four six. It's like, why can't he do Kareem Hunt things now if he has that kind of speed at two twenty? And him running a four four six at two twenty, Royce Freeman running a four five four at two twenty nine. I think is more impressive than Naheem Hines running a four three eight at one hundred one hundred ninety eight or whatever yes. he had. So uh, Hines is is still. I think Hines like solidified his place in the relative he order. To do that. Yeah, he he solidified his place in the relative order. While I think perhaps Royce and Penny gained uh, maybe at no one's particular expense, but it would be Michelle if anybody's. Yes. And uh, the order that those three get drafted in might be just uh, subject to. Uh, you know the teams in the draft order what are they looking for at running back if it's a team that already has some 225 pound back they might go to michelle because he kind of looks to be the more um you know acrobatic pass catching option of that three whereas penny the least pass catching upside of the three and royce kind of like a mix of the two okay. uh, in between so if, if you're looking for a workhorse maybe you go to royce and penny and if you want that someone to, to play the kamara role in your offense maybe you go to michelle and maybe that's how they end up you know getting their order determined okay that, that definitely makes sense um, let's jump into some guys that that uh you know might be a little bit under the radar um that, that did well for themselves this weekend um starting off he's n- not from an under the radar school by any means but um coming into this i thought that you know no one was really talking about him us included uh bo scarborough had a pretty impressive combine yeah definitely for, for a guy that, that's as big as he is uh running a four five two uh along with the third best vertical and the best broad jump for a running back um that that's something that i think at the very least it'll be one of those ones where we got to go back and, and watch the film a little bit more yeah i think it's safe to say that um it can be true both that scarborough was a big disappointment at alabama and an underachiever by pretty much any standard but it can also be true that he'll be a much better nfl player and his trajectory kind of reminds me of spencer wares but he's much more athletically talented than spencer Ware. like spencer Ware arrived to lsu as this really hyped recruit and he was generally pretty promising um whereas with uh with where part of his burning out at lsu might have been related to just not really working hard enough like we don't i at least don't know of anything like that with scarborough with him it seemed more like he just got hurt all the time he did uh so if he can stay healthy there is quite a bit of upside to be had just with knowing nothing but the athleticism that he has but when you look a little further as much as he underachieved at alabama his numbers there were much better than the worst case scenarios you might otherwise have in mind for someone like Scarborough. And for me, those are players like Chris Henry from Arizona who, uh, you worry about you know scarborough being that kind of basically like workout warrior underachiever but chris henry finished his arizona career with like a 3.5 yards per carry average Mm. uh scarborough has been explosive he just hasn't had like the volume or like the sustained production but right you got to contextualize when it comes to alabama or you know any school that uses a pretty heavy uh rotation of running backs you know this year for him to see less carries over 14 games than he did uh, in 2016 was like surprising and it is yards 
per carry dropped off a fair bit but i mean this is a guy two years ago that was averaging six and a half yards a carry right and uh he had like 11 touchdowns on not that many carries two yeah on 125 on. carries he had 11 touchdowns and if he didn't get hurt in the clemson uh national title game i still think that alabama probably wins that game yeah it's it's uh particularly after seeing him perform this well at the combine it's yeah it's hard to uh it's tempting to kind of go back and imagine just like how easily it could have gone differently for him because like a little bit or a little better durability and maybe scarborough's uh you know getting talked of as like a top 40 pick yeah uh, right now based on uh, certainly that athleticism but yeah the other guy that i was worried about him being was probably jamie harper from clemson uh, he was another guy who was like 230 pounds workout warrior like chris henry too um, slightly more productive than uh, chris henry was but again not as productive as scarborough so there's there's reason to worry about him being you know made of glass in the nfl but in dynasty football i think it's still safe to say at his current price that you can get him it's worth uh, going heavy yeah you can you can bet upside when it comes to him you can definitely see where, where that comes from uh, a little bit more than in some of these other guys um like maybe he has to go in the fourth or fifth round but it's one of those things where if he's on a team that has a running back a starting running back who's no better than say 20th best in the league and that guy gets hurt that guy might not get the job back um it's only it would take like a really impressive runner to uh give that runner the victory over uh scarborough and just like the eyeball test and if you're in a league where it's like what did you do for me last week is the main question it's like scarborough could eventually be a guy who gets the chance and just you know stays healthy for the first time at that point and never before but he he has the tools to be quite good and his numbers give no real cause for alarm either all right let's jump into another guy who's who's a big back that uh had a relatively interesting combine uh, a little bit uh further further off the radar coming out of oregon state uh ryan nall a guy that's six foot two 237 uh, not a great 40 but it the unofficial time was like in the four sixes originally then got uh changed into the four five so that was a positive uh thing for him and then he also really strong agility drills and a really good broad jump so the workout wise uh it was good stuff from ryan nall and he was a pretty productive runner at oregon state really the only thing that worked on that offense so did you have any uh opinions on him did, do you move him up a little bit more i mean does he i think that he's still probably at best like a fifth round guy but but i mean he's probably draftable at this point right yeah he's definitely draftable and he hasn't gotten much chatter about it but i think he might be in a similar boat as jalen samuels as far as how the league might receive him because he went to oregon state uh he was a running back in high school but when he got to oregon state they considered him a tight end and uh he should be good as a pass catcher out of the backfield um and he has the frame like a tight end at 62 232 and if if anything that's the main concern for me at running back is is he at 62 a little taller uh than a, a real workhorse candidate is normally and is he at 232 dense enough to take a, an extended workload beating in the nfl i think he might settle someplace in between like a I don't know, like a Trey Burton and a Marcel Reese, something like that. Where I like the Marcel Reese comp. Like he maybe he gets no more than I don't know, a uh, hundred carries in a season, but maybe he also gets fifty catches, something okay. like that. So it's you got to invest him, I think, in a, in most dynasty leagues. But he's probably more like a later round pick, and I think ideally you would get him in point per reception leagues. But yeah, he tested better than I thought he would, so he's pretty interesting. Uh, as a big back who can catch the ball 
And um, yeah, did you have any particular thoughts on him? Uh, I just thought that that overall that you know he's a guy that uh, in terms of college production, like it, you know being a guy that, that follows college on a week to week basis, he was always you know one of the top running backs on a given week. He was productive, yeah. Um, but you know that there's legitimate reason to wonder like how athletic is this guy really um so the the fact that he showed out uh pretty well uh this weekend like i said i think it kind of ends up with him being you know a potential like fifth round uh type of guy with, with the interesting uh pass catching wrinkle uh baked in there uh another guy that that i know i'm relatively big on uh, is chase edmonds out of fordham he had a pretty solid combine you know he's a, he's a smaller back of course um it, but he had really really strong agility scores and i think that 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 was kind of his game at fordham yeah. if you watch the film that's like his big thing is changes direction ability um but you wonder how much you know how legitimate it is it compared to these other running backs that were playing against much better competition so for him to test better than most of these other guys in that uh, category kind of tells me that he's able to he can do those sort of things at the next level potentially yeah since he like you said was like a quickness and, and burst wiggle back all along it didn't really matter that he ran a four four five i think a four five five is actually totally fine for him um the only concern would have taken effect is if he tested poorly in the agility drills which he tested very well so you always want that you won't you always want the congruity between like the athleticism and the skill set and when the skill set is like this you know a a hop around slip underneath guys kind of runner like chase Edmonds, you want to see the quickness verified and he verified that so he never needed the speed he needed the quickness and he showed that he had it so that's encouraging for him uh the other guys that I would want to hit on quickly are uh, Ronald Jones is listed with a four six six forty yard dash, yeah, which is amazing out. because he basically did it on a pogo stick. Yeah, <laughs> um, he, he it looked like he quit running in the middle of it, and he still ended up with a four six six, which is which is crazy. He probably would have been at like a four three five if he hadn't uh, pulled his hamstring or whatever yeah, so, it was. Yeah, he pulled it right around the twenty yard mark. So yeah, don't don't uh, be confused by that. No one is worried about Ronald Jones's speed. If anything, they might have fewer questions than ever because he was just hopping on that one leg and apparently uh, was still going quite fast and doing it. Uh, I think he still is at, at the first, second round turn, a, a pretty solid candidate for that range. Yeah, I, th- I think so too. He's he's a guy that it's really impressive. So uh, it's, it's disappointing that he wasn't able to to you know finish the workouts and you know pro day numbers are always a little bit. Uh, suspect um so so we'll i guess we'll never really really honestly know, he but. probably doesn't even need to run it because like a four six six you should watch the tape of i know you have seen it but yeah listener you should listen to or you should watch the tape of him running that 40 yard dash getting about you know 20 yards into it and seemingly stopping and then four six six i, yeah. don't, I don't know how he does that speaking of four six uh, a guy that i think we had some high hopes on that that ran in that range was mark walton at 460 um for a guy that that i think we both could agree needed some needed to show some speed there because he's a little bit undersized at 59205 he came in at 510 202 which is like that's not even dense like that's that's rather uh that's a that's not a dense runner and it's not a big runner in a you know volume sense so he's got size as a negative and then he runs a four six 
that's really yeah, not that, good. It's not a death sentence. Like he could, it's just that he's going to have to probably bounce around as like a third, fourth running back, wait for his chance from injuries rather than maybe cons- getting consideration as like a third, fourth round pick who gets kind of a, a favored spot on a roster. Like now he's going to need luck to yeah. get him onto the field at all. And then the separate question of, can he do anything good once he gets there? That's also in more doubt than ever. So he might not get drafted uh, if he doesn't, uh, probably either run a tenth of a second faster at his pro day or um at least get up to like 215 pounds which he's not going to do by then so yeah i I don't really have much interest in walton at least not over guys who got one minor uh counter uh, as it were um so he comes out runs a four six but i think it's important to remember that he suffered a season-ending ankle injury in September and I think it was surprising to begin with that he was even like cleared and, and willing to participate in all the drills at the combine so I think there is a, a chance that maybe he wasn't doing this at 100 percent fair enough yeah I don't know how to you know guess but, on that but if, if, if he was limited sticks, then then I agree with you but I'm just saying I'm just opening up the possibility that maybe there's more in the tank than what we saw this weekend yeah, perhaps the ankle also is to explain why he isn't at 210 or something like that instead of the 203 that he checked in at. I'm kind of off of him for now just because it's like I'd rather have Ray Lowry sure. pending Ray Lowry's pro day if, if things go wrong there, you know, never mind. But <laughs> so at, at the moment, I also might even prefer someone like Demario Richard who ran a 4.7, but at least he's, you know, built like a tank and uh, he he's got the congruity there already like we know he's powerful he never used speed with walton it's like how is he going to be quick if he's slow and how is he going to break tackles if he's not even like densely built uh we'll see if, if he adds some weight and improves his numbers at the miami pro day and, and then the ankle theory would make plenty of sense uh also briefly wanted to mention uh caitlin ballage had what was a really good workout by any measure but uh this guy at 6'1 228 we've always known he was an athletic freak he ran a 446 he had a 6.91 second three cone drill 4.35 second 20 yard shuttle these are numbers that are very good but i think it would be an error to kind of give him credit for it because or at least it'd be to maybe phrase it a little differently it'd be a mistake to alter his profile his prospect profile grade based on this because the entire time with Kalen Ballage, the theory of his upside necessitated numbers like this. Yes. Like if he had done anything but this, it would have been a disaster for him because mm-hmm. his production on the field was very bad. Um, he, he couldn't reliably win a starting job ahead of DeMario Richard, who most people take like for an said, undrafted guy. Seven. Right. Yeah. And, um, Ballage even was uh, briefly moved to defensive end, uh, early in his Arizona state career. So, this is why we've you know come up with this this idea that he's Taylor Mays the running back because it's like there's all these tools there's nothing on this field to show for it none um so yeah i i still think he's running back Taylor Mays and i would rather move him to tight end or something like that than try to keep him at running back but i would say fade Kalen Ballage in dynasty drafts myself i mean he's probably not that cheap to begin with and this is a guy who might just never see the field. I mean, there's there's guys who have been just as athletic as him and more productive who never got on the field in the NFL. Like, why would Kalen Ballage be an NFL star if Mario Finin never even so much as got a carry in the NFL? So I think when you have a big red flag like his production, like his being stuck in a backup role to a guy that no one thinks is any good, 
uh, you know, don't overthink it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you there. And, and I think really what, what you led off with there was particularly strong where it's like, this is, this is, this was something that was about as mortal of a lock coming into the combine as any of these running backs. It's like, okay, Ballage is gonna is gonna you know freak people out at the in terms of his workouts. But still, the question remains: is can he play football with you know any sort of reliable? He checked the uh, box, but that's all he did. Yeah, yeah. That there's really nothing to uh, change change his profile, like you said. Uh, any other last running backs you want to get onto before we uh, switch gears? Talk a little quarterbacks. Not really. I I will say, though, I saw a lot of people talking about how Justin Jackson, the Northwestern back, had a really great combine and he didn't. He had an OK combine. He's better uh, than I was expecting. It's still not anything that really bumps him up for me, though. Right. At six foot one ninety nine. He had a really good agility score. Good vertical four five two forty. That's all totally decent. But he's under 200 pounds. He struggled to ever get to five yards of carry in college. There were some bad offenses, bad quarterback play specifically that he had to deal with. But I'm sorry, like if you're under 200, you got to be under four or five or you got to be, I don't know, just insanely productive in college for me to, to overlook the objective precedent that is players with his size and athleticism just don't play usually like they they don't and i think he's probably gonna be a third down back which he'll be good at like he'll be on an nfl roster i think and for a while um but i don't think in fantasy there's much reason to think that he's ever going to stand out yeah i think that's a pretty fair way of summing that up so let's shift some gears here we're going to talk a little bit of quarterbacks uh before getting into the receivers um so more so on the uh, free agent and you know already in the nfl side we, we have a couple of you know storylines uh cooking up right now with, with the quarterbacks uh you said before the show that it's it seems increasingly likely that kirk cousins in minnesota is going to be a thing there's not much solid on this still but um like I, th- I thought i saw that mike Kliss, a denver reporter was saying that the broncos are still in on him but who knows what that definition of in on even is like they're still trying like we assumed they were still trying is it the question is do they realistically have a chance of getting him their appeal the whole time was supposed to be that they're more competitive than the browns and the jets if competition is what was what was driving Kirk cousins anywhere well why wouldn't you go to minnesota they're a better team it's a tougher division perhaps because you can't the route to a division championship is harder with aaron Rodgers there but uh the wild card assurance is just about a lock and uh, that's not to concede the division in the first place like i would consider them the favorite for that division if they got Kirk cousins as much as i think aaron Rodgers and the packers are still very dangerous so just from that that part alone and it's like i've seen more reporters and, and industry people just thinking about that too and they're like hey actually this denver thing doesn't really make much sense does it no they're not a good team it's like right it doesn't make much sense and if they were going to get cousins there on the basis of more money why wouldn't you just go to the jets who can offer him even more money so uh but yeah cliss said that he's still that denver's still in on him but uh saw benjamin albright uh, who's a really reliable reporter he was saying that it more so looked the other way that denver was kind of like losing ground uh lately so i would believe albright first and i especially because it just makes so much intuitive sense to me yeah i think i think minnesota screams out as like the, you know the place to go because i mean that they're a team that made it uh to the nfc championship i wouldn't say like in spite of case keenum case keenum had like you know the season of a lifetime for him but you know it just goes to show that there are so many pieces in place uh for 
you know, for this Minnesota team to stay atop uh, in the NFC North and, you know, Cousins getting plugged into that when, when you got Diggs entering his prime years and Adam Thielen on the, you know, breaking out, Dalvin Cook coming back, uh, in addition to having a really strong defense to, to kind of support things. I'd just be very surprised if, if he looked at these other options and decided that any one of them was better than what Minnesota offers. Yeah, Minnesota would have to just insult him with their <laughs> offer, I think, for him to go to Denver. But we'll see. And if you're Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen, Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, you're certainly hoping that Kirk Cousins signs with Minnesota instead of Denver because uh, if he signs with Denver... That's your top five pick. Right yeah, there. maybe they could still take a quarterback, but that'd be a stupid thing to do. So fifth pick... Denver is almost certain to be a quarterback if Cousins signs with Minnesota. So that has that has a lot of uh, sway for the outcomes for Rosen and Darnold, especially because, yeah, what if the Browns take uh, Barkley at one? Maybe the Giants are, are now emboldened to trade back from two or to also pass on a quarterback, which can kind of uh, you know precipitate the drop for at least one of Darnold and Rosen, maybe even both, but more likely Darnold. Uh, but if Darnold falls, then Mayfield's falling and Lamar's probably falling too. So if those rookie quarterbacks would definitely want cousins to go to Minnesota and who knows what's going to happen with Nick Foles. But I mean, we got Chris Mortensen saying that teams are already, or at least one team, I should say, uh, have already offered a substantial sum for this guy. What's that? Do you think it's the Browns? I have no idea where to start with the Browns. The only thing that I'm really taking for a given with the Browns is that Hugh Jackson wants to sign AJ McCarron. And I don't know what else happens because it seems it just, it's going to be a really weird political situation to watch with that team because it's like Dorsey seems to have his own agenda. But if they go after McCarron, it seems like he's letting Hugh Jackson have some suction too. Is Todd Haley going to have any say there? If he doesn't have any say, he might get mad and start a fight with Hugh Jackson. Uh, so yeah, that who knows? It's going to be funny to watch. But yeah, is it like is is Dorsey doing like a GM by committee thing where it's like, oh, all right, no. Hugh wants this quarterback, you get uh, your uh, Nick Foles also. Uh, we're going to go into this year with a competition between Nick Foles and AJ McCarron. That'd be stupid, but it also, I mean, this is the Browns, it's pretty on brand. Yeah, so that'd be amazing. I hope they do it. That'd be funny. Uh, but yeah, apparently teams are already offering like a second round pick. And Mort was saying that, let's see, the Eagles, they want more than what they got in the Bradford trade, which was a first rounder and a fourth rounder. Uh, that's insane because yeah. no one wanted Nick Foles two months ago. Yeah. Uh, so that's just crazy. Um, hey, whatever. Cleveland, go get him. Whatever. I guess so, man. It's your destiny. <laughs> so that that's interesting. And if, because otherwise I don't, I don't know where, like, what are we, who would be able to justify coughing up that price except for a team that like has no quarterback and the number of teams that have no quarterback at all are kind of limited like there's cleveland makes sense the giants wouldn't be in on that because they're i think they are sincere about going with eli manning another year but it would be it it would it would be obviously want a a a i guess the jets make sense yeah because they they're probably that has to be it right the jets because they're they're probably by now understanding the reality that Kirk Cousins isn't going there. Yeah. And at six, they're probably not be, they're not able to assure themselves that they're going to get whatever quarterback they might want. 
So yeah, maybe they're the ones because otherwise you look down the list of teams that have no quarterback and it's just um You think Buffalo would be interested? They're doing a lot of stupid stuff with their front office, so maybe. Yeah, it's gotta be Buffalo or the Jets and the the Bills makes some sense because I think the team that might trade a first and third round pick for a guy that they didn't want to sign three months ago or sorry, six months ago, I guess it would have been technically. Um the team that wants to do that is also the type of team that wants to that steps into an organization for the first time, looks around, takes inventory of everything, and says like, "We got to get rid of Watkins and Darius." First things first, we got to get rid of those guys. We got to get Nathan Peterman some t- some playing time. Step one, get rid of those two. Step two, get rid of Tyrod Taylor. Step three, trade a first and a third for a guy that we didn't want to sign in June. Like that's, <laughs> I think, the logical evolution of that front office. It, yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty much how it how it's bore out to this point. So, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't put it past the Bills. I also think the Bills are my most likely team to go after Josh Allen in the first round. If oh, they don't for sure, go after. Cleveland and Buffalo have uh, they've already like colluded with the other owner. Like, you guys don't get to pick Allen. We do. Like, we're the only teams that we're are on wrestling for it. Yeah. So the Bills and and Browns are presumably both on the hunt for uh aj mccarron and nick Foles and uh, josh allen all at the same time it's yeah it is a wild wild case. it's a hot market and they they both got money to burn they both know how to do it picks yeah yeah so that'll be interesting but at the moment it's it still seems to me that despite whatever it, it rosen has to be the first pick it feels that way it, it should be i think so like would they really would cleveland really take saquon barkley at one if he if they do i think it's a lock that rosen goes to the giants at two i don't think there's any doubt about that even if they want to give eli another year it's like they got to take rosen if he's there at two in which case for the browns do they take darnold there or do they is darnold even good enough for the fourth pick like i feel like there's he's probably the biggest bust potential in the first round quarterbacks. Like I think Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield easily have higher floors than him. Uh, the upside is very tempting and like he has a lot of things that are really promising about him. But, uh, if, if you're, if you're the kind of team that takes a running back first overall, are you the kind of team that takes a quarterback at all in the first round? Like maybe you try to go with your, you know, that that might be the type of team that prefers to sign a Brock Osweiler or a Mike Glennon in free agency than just pay up for a worthwhile prospect. Oh man, I I still like all that makes sense. I just still have a hard time thinking. Yeah, that that Cleveland or that we get outside of the first four picks and and one of the quarterbacks isn't on Cleveland. I'm just guessing that that you know that's despite the, the stupidity i think they they can't even screw that one up yeah i think if the first pick they take barkley it's it's uncertain how that happened it's uncertain who's behind it but if they get to four and they don't take a quarterback you know hugh jackson has substantial say in the with the front office because uh that would be a hugh jackson move to go into the year with to, to leave the first round with only aj mccarron on the roster <laughs> otherwise you know two top five picks neither of them go to quarterback that yeah be uh and also deshaun kaiser's still better than mccarron so that would be stupid also but it's gonna go badly for the browns sorry guys browns fans however it happens like even if they make the right picks like something else is going to go wrong with the coaches or the front office or the owner so yeah that's it's going to be entertaining i can assure you that just don't get your hopes up (laughs) yeah uh, we don't mean to be the cleveland uh downer podcast but i mean it's hard not to be uh right now Uh, Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. If you're looking for a credit card that fits your lifestyle, look no further. U.S. Bank has credit cards that make every day rewarding, no matter what you're into. Feeling hungry? 
Check out the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points on takeout, food delivery, and dining. And get two times points at gas stations, grocery stores, and on streaming. That'll keep your wallet and your mouth full. Big spender? The U.S. Bank Visa Platinum Card has a low intro APR for large purchases or balance transfers. And you call the shots with the U.S. Bank Cash Plus Visa Signature Card. Choose two categories each quarter. Earn 5% back on your first $2,000 of eligible purchases from those categories. So don't just get a credit card, get the right card to make every day more rewarding. Cash back, merchandise, travel rewards, and low intro APRs are waiting. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. The creditor and issuer of these cards is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc., and the cards are available to United States residents only. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Um, let's uh, shift gears back uh, to the combine. Uh, let's go talk about uh, some of the receivers. I think there's a pretty, seemingly, at least among the mainstream, a pretty ironclad first tier of receivers. And I think that that might have changed uh, with this weekend's occurrences. I mean, we had we had coming in we had like calvin ridley christian kirk james washington Cortland sutton and dj moore in some order for for everyone but um with, with dj chark out of lsu blowing it up uh equinemia st brown doing very well for himself and, and you know weighing in uh, at a promising you know 215 216 when when we were worried of him being a little bit too twiggy um and I think that, that certainly kind of expands the that first tier and, and kind of opens up some room for movement. And I think that we also mentioned last week on the podcast that James Washington had a lot to lose, and I think he lost it. Yeah, I think he's going in the second round now. I, I guess he could fall to like the early third. I, I don't know how to properly contextualize his workout because the numbers aren't bad, but they're also not good. And his production is so great, but how do you properly weigh that with the favorability of the scheme that he played in? Um, but even as far as Oklahoma state receivers go, it's like, he's been a totally different level, uh, production wise. And I'm trying to remember like, like three years ago when they had, uh, Marcel Adaman was also on the team and Marcel Adaman was struggling to separate from guys like Jawan seals and, uh, David Glidden. And even back then Washington, you could kind of tell was the best player among the receivers. So however big his flaws, I still think he's a good player. Who's probably a starting wide receiver two type. Okay. And uh, his his athletic testing was a little better than Leonte Carew's. I was I was worried about Carew as like the specific model for how it might go wrong for Washington. Uh, not to write off Carew's career, but he, we were talking about James Washington. Everybody was talking about James Washington as a guy who could no later than his second year, but maybe even his rookie year, get a starting role and make an actual impact with it. If he has to wait three or four years like Carew, that's basically a bust in in fantasy where people are picking him right now. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so um, the the backslide seems to be on right now. It was a four five four that he ran. Uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, four five four. Uh, short shuttle was a four three two. Mediocre agility drills and jumps. Yeah, both. Seven, seven one for the three for the three cone, which is which is not a great uh, mark either. Uh, and yeah, and the the jumps were pretty much. I mean, they weren't bad or anything. They were just dead set in the middle, like pretty average. And you would think he could probably do better than those numbers if he was five eleven, two hundred instead of instead of two thirteen. So that kind of gives him a little bit of a cushion too. But basically, I feel like he fell into the second round, and I think. <laughs> Christian Kirk, it looked like was going to close in on him and Calvin Ridley with running a four four six forty, but then he had terrible agility really drills bad. and a jump in. 
that's one case where I'm willing to ignore one of arbitrarily ignore one of the numbers because he was doing a lot of slot receiver stuff in college. We know he's a killer punt returner. The way he won in college was with quickness that this is going to sound perhaps like hypocritical on my part because you know the skill set was based on quickness and now we have this testing it says no but it's one thing for when it's like a james washington type case where it's like the numbers are a little lower than what you want and another thing where you have a case like kirk's where you watch the tape and you know he's quick like there's no question like a dalvin Cook. yeah i was gonna exactly say it's like dalvin cook um it's it reminds me of a dalvin cook situation or even uh like ridley had a bad 20 yard shuttle or something like that yeah yeah uh, really had a couple bad bad workout numbers there that were surprising yeah i'm going to go ahead and take the liberty of at least in cases like ridley's and kirk's where they're so productive on the field against top level of competition right away too yeah as long as in those conditions they also have strong 40 yard dashes and also ideally three cones i'm willing to overlook things like jumps and the 20 yard shuttle because um, i think their significance is more obscured than the 40 and the three cone and like the main concern is like the 40 because uh I mean, Sterling Shepard had, I think, a similar workout to Kirk, like where he had a killer 40 and then disappointed in the other drills. And it was okay. the same thing. It was like you watch the tapes like we know he's quick. Mm-hmm. Like, like, let's worry about something else. So I do think, though, Kirk needed to do better than he did to really gain on where he was. Like, I think he kind of stays in place, whereas Washington slides probably past Kirk. I, like, I think Kirk's still in that turn of the first and second round consideration, whereas I think Washington's pretty solidly in the mid to late second. And uh, Ridley, he, he had the bad 20-yard shuttle. He had the bad jumps, but he had the 4-4-3, and he had a really good three-cone. I think when you see the production that he had, the film that he had, that kind of 40, that kind of three-cone makes me not worry about the other drills. Like I'm basically willing to assume that he tested poorly in those excuse me in those other drills because he basically just didn't train for them as well or just wasn't as good at doing the drill the, the receivers as a whole for whatever reason all stunk at the broad jump it seemed well like. if you guys did awesome but yeah it's like you almost wonder if these guys were training together at some place where they deliberately maybe uh said we're going to try to emphasize our speed or like these drills because no one cares about these other ones or maybe uh yeah i have no idea what it is but yeah you had a bunch of guys who were running really fast and were really high pedigree guys finishing with like 110 inch broad jumps and then uh there would be like some nobody who had like a 130 inch broad jump so um i'm willing to overlook it for ridley i think he's uh probably the first receiver off the board and uh which is to say the the exact same assessment that we've had for him for a long time i don't think he went up or down with his showing and if anyone is putting heat on him i guess it it's just between Chark and Sutton at this point. And I would guess Ridley still is ahead of either of them, but I do think Chark and Sutton are probably in the first round now. Okay. Yeah. Let, let's actually jump into Sutton uh, quick. So, you know, he's, he's a big receiver. He's, you know, kind of the uh, big bodied receiver in this class, uh, checking in at like six, three and change and two eighteen. Uh, just ridiculously good agility scores. And I think both of us were concerned with what the speed and the agility looks like for him in, in the, testing setting uh because the film showed a little bit of a guy that that's a build-up speed guy more than anything you don't need him to be a burner per se but still uh running a, a four five four forty and really good agility drills like that i think that that really kind of knocks out the athletic concerns that i that i kind of had coming into the week 
Yeah, sorry, backtrack for just a second here. I meant to include DJ Moore also in that group. So DJ Moore, DJ Chark, and Cortland Sutton, I think, are all really strong candidates to go in the first round and maybe even go ahead of Ridley if the right team uh, is is thinking it and they're ahead of whatever team was otherwise targeting Ridley. Uh, But in any case, yeah, Chark, I mean, 6'3", 199. We talked about how it seems like he's a one-year wonder, but maybe not so much because... At LSU, he played behind Malachi Dupre and Travin Durall in 2016, and in hindsight, that shouldn't have happened. Nope. Like those two tests, like they were. There's always this thing where if you're a four or five star LSU type recruit, everyone just assumes you're athletic, even if you're terrible in college. They're like, well, at least he has upside. Like we did that with Terrence Tolliver too, and it turned out Durall and Dupre are not even that athletic, and their production wasn't any good. So what are they doing on the field? Uh, Chark well, rivals had them as a, as a high four star, so and got yeah, good. jumps very high, uh, and in at least Dupre's case. But this is you go back and look at their per target numbers in 2016, and even though he only had 430 yards or whatever, Chark was much more productive on a per target basis than Durall and Dupre. Then he gets into the starting lineup this year, and he does not quite as great with the explosiveness, but still really good, uh, very explosive, uh, killer deep threat. It's 6'3", 199. It's got pretty good wingspan. 4-3-4 is really fast. Like yes. this, is, this is a dangerous downfield uh, combination. Of, is that of, the fastest receiver? Uh, I think so. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's, one, he's the fastest receiver, and he's one of the biggest ones there. So not many can say that. He had a 40-inch vertical, 129-inch broad That's jump. Ridiculous. Those are both elite. So he's, he's going to be a really good deep threat. We know that. The question is, can he do other things? And the, the second question is, are the teams you know in the first round early second are they going to look for him to do more than be a deep threat like is there a team like houston was with will fuller just sitting there in you know the 20s thinking like we just got to get a deep threat and this is it because if there is a team like that i think he's going in the first round if someone like sutton goes ahead of him if someone like dj moore goes ahead of him it might be because they were looking for a more rounded skill set whereas chark there's a legitimate fear he's more of like a deep threat specialist more you're not worried about that we saw him make a living on short routes and do a lot after the catch uh with sutton it's kind of like a mix of the two like we saw him do more in the intermediate and short than chark did Woody he also made a lot of impact plays downfield probably more than what Moore did as much as that might have just been uh, the result of the quarterback play but yeah i think chark and Moore. who y- do you want to just talk about more since you're uh the the, the maryland guy yeah, yeah. i mean uh, dj Moore. he's a guy that, that comes to the combine i think uh, you know, issue number one uh, that people had were, you know, worrying that he was going to get the, the Baker Mayfield type of like, is he, Eric, how much taller was he listed at in college than, than he actually is? And, you know, for a guy that looked, uh, looked like he could be as short as in the five tens for him to check in at six foot, I thought higher than his listed height. Yeah. So way to go Maryland. But uh, yeah, so that that was like an immediate thing that that put uh him headed in the right direction it's like okay this guy has legit uh frame and he comes out he jumps it with a 40 inch vertical so i, I guess that was probably only sec- second only to dj chark uh 132 inch broad jump so just like chark those are elite uh leaping numbers there and then he had a really good uh sh- short shuttle time at 407 and his 40 yard dash i think was faster than people were expecting to as well at 442 so it, uh, he's a guy that the, the tape people really loved, and now I think the metrics people can get behind him as well. So I think that there's more and more uh, likelihood that he's a first round candidate now, like as opposed to it used to be kind of like a 
a less mainstream take to, to suggest that he was a first round pick. Now it seems like a more odds on favorite thing to happen. Well, the metrics guys were always on, or at least at the end of the most recent season, they were onto him because they have a lot of like market share emphasis in their wide receiver models and, and more had uh, over half. I think he had 53% of Maryland's receiving production, which I've never seen anything like that happen outside of a triple option offense or the Minnesota offenses under Jerry kill, which were pretty much the same thing. So <laughs> DJ Moore's numbers are pretty unprecedented. I still think they're basically explained as, you know, the Borton Schlager issue dictating a one read offense. Yep. But still 53% is absurd because it's like 35% is supposed to be close to elite as far as share percentages go. So uh, even if he had only been 35, 40, it still would be amazing work on his part and him running a 442, 39 and a half inch vertical, 132 inch broad jump, really strong agility score. Those numbers help explain how those, the production happened. And it's, it's less interesting now, the question of how much did the scheme push the targets to him? Because yeah. the answer could be like fully, the, the, the answer could be there was literally no one else running a route on any play that he was on the field for. And you still wouldn't care with workout numbers like that. So, yeah, I think Moore is going in the first round. I don't know how to guess whether he's going to be able to get serious consideration as more than a late first guy. Like, I don't see anything in his profile, his tape, his athleticism that makes me wonder, you know, is it is 15 too early? Like, I think 15 is not too early to take him. Uh, but sometimes, you know, the league has arbitrary uh you know assessments of players i think the ravens might go after him at 16 yeah i don't think he's gonna fall past 20 25 something like that and ravens at 16 makes plenty of sense so but yeah he's he's interesting because he's generally not been regarded as a wide receiver one type but at six foot 210 it's like he with that kind of athleticism he might be more than a wide receiver two even okay. if he's not quite a wide receiver one if that makes it like kind of like you know stefan Diggs, adam thielen like you wouldn't call either one a wide receiver one but it's like you no one wants to cover them at all sure. uh, so do you have like a, a comparison that you've drawn up yet for when it comes to dj Moore? uh not really because like he's that. he's um i mean the, the the thing that i generally tend to do when i try to look at prospects is identify whether they have any standout traits because i think it's like you, f- you find enough standout traits and enough supplementary uh positive traits and like that's how you weed out the stars basically like no one becomes a star going into the league with you know seven out of ten across the board and all things and mm-hmm. one thing about Moore that was really obvious from like the first time i saw him is he's really dangerous after the catch uh the way he like anchors after catching the ball breaks tackles and we know he can run away from tacklers after he breaks their tackle attempts after the combine and the way he broke tackles after the catch reminded me of steve smith but steve that's carolina steve smith not usc and he's bigger than steve smith by quite a bit like 25 pounds probably uh three inches taller so they don't have similar body types but that was he had like the kind of violence as a runner after the catch that you really only saw with someone like steve smith um otherwise his skill set is probably more conventional and uh, that that's not a bad thing like it's you would ideally have if if steve smith had been six feet tall like the league might not be standing right now (laughs) so uh yeah it can't hurt more that he has a bigger body type basically yeah i I think that uh you know everything sets up uh really well 
uh, for him. And I do agree with you that, that when it comes to after the catch ability, that, that his style is one that, that definitely uh, stuck out. Um, I want to get into uh, Equinemia St. Brown out of Notre Dame a little bit because he, he's huge, dude. I mean, he's almost 6'5" checked in uh you know well over 210 so that that was a positive because he did look uh kind of stick like at, at notre dame especially th- this past year um and then i think that there are some concerns uh because of the production drop off this past year but i think it's important to contextualize that you know he was working with deshaun kaiser who was you know getting you know kind of uh auditioning for the pros in 2016 uh and that's when he kind of blew up even on a bad Notre Dame team versus this year uh, with Notre Dame with Brandon Wimbush, who just kind of really is scattershot as far as a, I mean, it was a significant downgrade. He was playing hurt court. this year too, wasn't he? St. Brown. Uh, I think at one point he, he at least had like one or two weeks where he had some issue. Oh, okay. I, I don't remember that. So exactly. it, it just to add to the point that like, you know, the conditions were off this year basically. Yeah. So, you know, he comes in, and he he does really really well for himself. He runs sub four five in the forty, um, and I think he had like twenty reps on the bench or something. So I mean, he's he's a strong guy, probably stronger than than you would have guessed. I don't think he did all the drills no. uh, this week, so there there is a bit of an incomplete mark there. Um, but do you think that he's a guy that that I think or that you think uh, could be a definite day two? I think he's. I think he helped himself. Like I think that more and. Sutton helped themselves more than St. Brown did, but a four four eight for him at two fourteen is a win. Like the way it would have been bad for him is if he came in at two oh five or two hundred. And uh, I think watching his tape, there was a legitimate worry that he comes in at that lower weight of two hundred and then runs like a four five five or a four six. A four four eight is not going to make you you know look twice, but at six five two fourteen this is a guy who at the very least has a big frame and he can move uh, faster than most people who do have that frame. And he was productive, I think in college, like even, even though last year was disappointing. It's for all the reasons you already said, it's not super indicative of much. Uh, at, at least you would say, I think that his sophomore year was much more reflective of his yes, real nature, you whatever you think that nature might be in the end and six five two fourteen that's still not quite as dense of a build as i'd like to see like at six five he's still lanky at two fourteen um and I, I looked at some you know at pro football reference you can run a query for past seasons and looking at guys who are at least six five and no more than two fourteen there's some names that worked but generally they're not stars and generally they're more in the 90s like the best one on the list is definitely Ed McCaffrey, who was listed at six five two fifteen, but that was almost twenty years ago, and who knows how how well someone like him would do against the schemes of today. The most recent comparison to him is probably like Malcolm Floyd. Yes, and I think that he's quite a bit more talented than Floyd was, and Floyd was actually a decent player. So I, I like St. Brown. I think he's probably going to go in the second or third. And I think in Dynasty, he's probably been a steal for the past, uh, I guess, just since this season started because he was going. Uh, he, he fell from like the consensus number one receiver and in a lot of cases, the number one player at any position to f- 
to the question of like, is he even a top 35 player Mm -hmm. uh, just in a few months? And I think by now it's safe to say like, he's definitely that he might be top 15 and there's definitely some value here. It's just that the question is just how much upside does he have? I guess. Okay. I think that that's fair. And you know, you, you bring up the the body comparisons. Um, I think those are, those are good things to, to remember uh, when, when kind of, evaluating everything um so i want to talk a little bit more about these two small school guys i mean sutton we've already talked about a little bit but sure. he ran a four five four which at a glance is not super impressive the 35 and a half inch vertical doesn't uh make you really care but when you notice that he's six three two eighteen, and he, i'm going to take the liberty of assuming he was one of those guys who's six three and three eighths uh, he looks taller than six three uh flat so six three two eighteen runs a four five four at the combine which is to say he could probably do a four five flat at worst at a pro day if he chooses to run there and then the agility score is what's crazy with him because the six five seven three cone drill is really great four one one 20 yard shuttle is also good you don't find guys as big as him with the wingspan that he has with his level of college production who are that quick just doesn't really happen um and i think at the at least at this point you would say that he's as good of a prospect as Kenny Galladay was. And I think if the last draft were done over Galladay would probably be a first round pick. Right. So I think Sutton at, at this point has basically at least given you reason to think he's as good as Mike Williams, who I think we can agree was probably drafted too high. Like I don't expect Sutton to get in the top 10 or even no. close, but I think both players and Galladay looked like they should have been going in that like 20 to 30 range. And I think that's where Sutton probably settles into. Uh, otherwise I, I think he was injured. This guy was injured last year, but uh, someone that I was really eagerly anticipating in 2017, Richie James, I think put himself back, back on the map with his combine showing he came in at 5'10, 183, which is actually bigger than expected. Like he was listed at 5'9, 175 or something like yes. that at middle Tennessee. So he turned out to be quite a bit bigger than expected still small but uh, it could have been a lot worse and he came in with a 448 40 yard dash 35 and a half inch vertical 122 inch broad jump strong agility score it's it's nothing none of those numbers are elite especially for his size but he was just so insanely productive at middle tennessee and uh, especially just as a, a raw open field runner there haven't been many like him in recent memory. So it was good to see him put together a, a strong athletic profile because now you have reason to think maybe the skills that he showed on tape do transfer to the NFL. He'll be a slot receiver at most, but uh, I think that with how he produced with testing like this, there's, there's reason to think he'll be better than um, at least a few slot type guys that have been getting more talk than him. And uh, maybe he gets some more hype. If people go look at his, you know, 2016 and earlier middle Tennessee tape, all right, let's, they might've forgotten about in the last year. Let's, all right, let's throw this out here. Cause it is, I'm about to name a guy that did absolutely nothing with his rookie year, but uh, was someone that, that I really liked uh, this time last year, Carlos Anderson uh, from Louisiana tech. Where, where do you think James's trajectory compares with his? I think Carlos was a better prospect and especially because Carlos, if he is good, which I'm pretty sure he still is like he makes a killing downfield. He can run. Uh, He was a great kick returner and he did a lot after the catch too. But like Carlos was just killing teams deep over and over and over. James won't do that. Like he's going to have to mostly do the intermediate and short routes. And I I don't think he's going to get deep like Carlos did, but um, I would guess. So if, if Carlos Anderson was a second round pick, I would think, Richie James is fourth at the earliest, okay. more likely fifth, probably. But he's one of those guys who you got to be on, you know, 
a high alert for him to make noise in training camp and places like that because uh, it's just exceedingly rare for someone to produce like he did and at all let alone have the athleticism that he has confirmed at this point but yeah, i'm trying to pull up his numbers just to kind of um give you an idea of why i'm i'm kind of intrigued by him so his freshman year at middle tennessee he puts up 1300 yards eight touchdowns in 13 games adds 158 yards on the ground and his 2016 season in 13 games he puts up 1600 yards 12 touchdowns adds 339 and four more touchdowns on the ground he hasn't done any punt or kick returning at middle tennessee but i think that's because he was literally carrying the entire offense so he's going to get some interest i would imagine as a kick and punt returner because he's probably really good at it and in the meantime like he can do that and then the longer term some team can work on him as you know a slot prospect basically so i think i think at least you would have to say he's a better prospect than ryan switzer right or at least they're close and switzer was a fourth rounder yeah okay that i think in terms of where where they grade out overall that there is some stuff about switzer that i really liked yeah me too with the with the kick returning or punt return ability and his ability to always seemingly get open somehow i really like that about him so i might give switzer a slight lean over over james but i definitely i i think that james deserves a little bit more talk than he's been getting uh where would you say that james is in relation to another uh smaller school guy that people uh really kind of cape for is anthony miller i would take james over miller at this point and that's mostly not even things in miller's control it's like the the injury to his foot and uh he's he's just older than a lot of these guys and probably less athletic too so it it doesn't mean that miller can't be good it just kind of means i feel like we have to take these guys before him okay yeah because there's a little bit more uh like more to the iceberg with with some of these other guys that than there is uh with miller um another guy who who had like a really interesting combine but that you know kind of wasn't on our radar uh coming in was dylan cantrell you know he's a guy that checks in at six foot three uh 212 pounds doesn't run a great 40 runs a four five nine but uh in terms of his agility drills his shuttle time and his cone drill uh, both of those were were upper echelon uh, and he also had a 39 inch vertical and 130 inch broad jump so i mean the is he just workout warrior with, with nothing else really i mean i could see where where there's a case to be made for that but he also had 70 catches uh last year and the year yeah. before that uh for texas tech he had uh eight touchdowns on 58 receptions in 2016 as well yeah he was pretty productive at texas tech he had some injuries i think a back issue like a year ago that might have held his production back but he i think is a lot of he has a lot in common with devin could just or whatever his name was from stanford who was like a tight end receiver tweener had something like a six three three cone drill uh at the combine he it's hard to know how things could have turned out for him he hasn't done anything but could just also had really extensive injury issues that might have determined his fate to some extent if cantrell's over that back issue like i wouldn't think that he goes any sooner than the fourth round and i kind of want to move him to tight end even if he does mm-hmm. uh i feel like he, his quickness and his, his leaping ability like it doesn't really show up at receiver that much at, at his build because it's like if you're quick and you're huge and you're playing from the slot like you're not getting open as easily as the short guy who's as quick you're you're a bigger target uh so i, I feel like he'd be more likely to capitalize on that quickness on that 
on that kind of springiness if he was running against safeties and linebackers instead of someone who could close the gap on him as soon as he gets open a little bit but he's he's more solid than could just was i think he's he's more productive than he was and, and not hurt as often and a better athlete too yeah so i mean at the very least like those are those are impressive numbers we'll, we'll see uh when, what ends up happening with uh, him, but another yeah, big guy definitely. yeah another big guy i thought not as he didn't do like headlines like cantrell but alan lazard did a lot better than i expected him to that was and huge he was six five two twenty seven people were talking about moving him to tight end and then he ran a four or five five forty yard dash which is not going to you know generate hype or anything but yeah. 227 at 6'5 he's it's fair to ask like is he basically what equinemia st brown you know was supposed to be like he's at 227 it's like yes the 455 is not as good as the 448 but he's 12 pounds heavier it's like the build and the athleticism are both there you don't have to worry about one of them leaving if if uh you know with equinemius if he adds 10 pounds is he too slow then it's a fair concern with lazard we already know he's not uh 38 inch vertical 122 inch broad jump yeah, that, that vertical adds to his you know his catch radius and all that so i mean for, for a guy that's six five that can jump like that that's really good yeah and he was productive all four years at iowa state so i feel like lazard's probably going to go in the third or fourth and before i was more like i didn't know if he was going to get drafted and now i'm pretty sure he's going in the third or fourth because he's he's probably good like he's not going to hurt a team he's not going to be a zero no absolutely not because i mean i, I think like the the athleticism w- was something that, that was in question but like in terms of just like his on-field um ability and his ability to go up and just get the ball like re- um you know really good hands and stuff i, I think that that was already going to be there so there there's a built-in floor there and now uh with, with that good testing uh, that there's a higher chance that he gets on the field earlier than than we probably would have said he would uh, this time last week. What do you think about Tate running, Auden Tate running a four six eight forty? Um, it it kind of confirms our suspicions that he just does not have speed. Yeah, so I'm kind of like finding myself in that place where uh, you know how the people who loved Kalen Ballage like threw a big parade when he did exactly what he was supposed to. Yeah. So we were kind of skeptical of Auden Tate. But we kind of also figured all along he would run like this, so we probably can't actually penalize him much. Can and also we already had him ranked as like a fourth, fifth round guy as opposed to second, third that a lot of people did. But I don't want to, you know, write him off specifically as much as you know. This is this is what we were worried about. He's not going to be a wide receiver one, like whatever upside he has is probably limited to the red zone and four six eight is slow enough to make you worry even about that but he's also pretty young so maybe he runs like a four six five next year or something at five pounds heavier who knows but yeah he's he's not going ahead of those guys like uh you know before people might have said it was debatable whether it's him or sutton who's better and Mm -hmm. like now they're five rounds apart or something yeah absolutely yeah he's yeah i think that that's a really uh, good way of putting it where it's like we knew that he was going to be slow that like this shouldn't it, it shouldn't have been a case where coming into it like even the most ardent uh Auden Tate supporters were like okay here comes a f- four or five or something like that like th- this was uh kind of expected there so uh there, there are certain things that he can do that that are really really impressive but uh you know when you when you test so poorly in certain regards you're going to get drafted a, a fair bit lower and then teams have less obligation to really give you a fair shake and that's what i'm kind of worried about with him yeah i'm definitely worried about that and um 
yeah, I, I feel like that kind of exhausts the, the t- receivers pretty much. And, uh, yeah, maybe we can go to the tight ends where maybe Auden Tate will get moved someday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll break down the tight ends, uh, when we come back, uh, on the show Wednesday, but that'll wrap things up, uh, for today for our, uh, combine uh, special edition podcast again we'll be back on wednesday uh, for mario puig i'm john mckechnie this is the rotowire nfl podcast